Welcome to Dan Talks About His Famous Friends. Oh, hi. So, one of my very famous friends is you, actually. <laughs> Which is how we got onto this topic, because I have a niece who's a big, huge fan of yours. Hello, Zoe. I don't think you listen to this show, but listen to this episode. But also, I was starting to tell the story of how I became friends with John DeLancey, and Brandon wanted to hear that, and we decided to just record it. So here's the story of Dan Wells becoming friends with John DeLancey. You ready for this? Yes. John, John DeLancey, DeLancey is Q mm -hmm. from Star Trek, among other things. Anyway, when I lived in Germany, I got an email in my junk mail, and the subject line said, John DeLancey, a stage play? Question mark. And I thought, oh, that's weird. How did I get onto a John DeLancey mailing list? I'm glad he's doing a stage play. But I live in Germany. I'm not going to be able to see it. So mm -hmm. delete. <clears throat> and then about two days later, I got the same email again mm -hmm. and deleted it again. So you didn't even read it. I didn't even read it. But as soon as I deleted it that second time, I thought, wait, I should probably make sure just in case that that's what this is. And so I dug through the deleted folder and found it. And it was from actual John DeLancey himself. Wow. Who had read I Am Not a Serial Killer and loved it. And we spent about a year corresponding back and forth with each other, trying to figure out if there was a viable way of turning I Am Not a Serial Killer into a stage play, mm -hmm. which was just a delight because he, of course, is very good friends with a lot of wonderful actors and people. Yes. And at one point he said, yeah, I think we found a good way of, you know, doing the supernatural angle and we're going to use screens and Gates has a theater that does this. And I'm like, Gates? And he said, yeah, Gates McFadden. Mm -hmm. Yep. Oh, OK. Beverly Crusher. I forgot for a minute who I was talking to. The stage play, of course, never panned out. But I did end up, when I came back from Germany, visiting him at his house. And now anytime we're at a con at the same time, we go out to eat, which is increasingly less these days because his health is not great. Mm. But, you know, he's in the new season of Picard and things like that. So he's still working and doing stuff. Anyway, John is awesome. And that is today's episode of Dan Talks About His Famous Friends. Is this going to be a recurring segment? Ooh, um, ooh. save some save, for save later. For, most of them are Star Trek people oh. because I am a nerd. Mm. And when I have an opportunity to meet a new Star Trek person, I, I meet a new Star Trek person. Well, I think this can become a recurring segment. No one's going to care <laughs> but me. But I am a Star Trek nerd, so I would love to hear about your famous friends. I had no idea, right? Like you're talking about John Lansing, like you, you're saying to Zoe, you should go talk to him when she's at the con. Drop my yeah, name. And yeah, I'm like, Wait he, a minute. He does the voice of Discord in My Little Pony. And he was actually hired because when they pitched the character of Discord to the studio, they said, oh, you know, he's got this kind of sassy attitude like Q from Star Trek. And at that point, the producers instantly said, well, that's who we have to get. That's how he got the job. And so my niece Zoe was at a brony con or something. Mm -hmm. And... I kept telling her, please go get in line to meet him and name drop me and he will talk to you. And she was too shy to do it. So, alas. Alas. Oh, Dan's Coke has arrived. My Coke has arrived. The legal kind of Coke. <laughs> well, those... I do have a lot of famous friends. <laughs> if you start snorting that bottle, I am going to be very surprised I, and amused. We all will be. <laughs> we'll all uh, be very amused. I'll have carbonated sinuses at that point. 
Now, while we are talking about people name dropping their famous friends, you, I think, have done your fair share of that. Uh, of I've, being someone's famous friend or, or name dropping. Name dropping. Yes. So many conversations, I will hear you say, oh, you know, I was talking to JJ the other day. Yes. And things like that. For my life has started to move in movie circles more and more and more. Mm-hmm. And people like to bring the author to add a measure of respectability to certain things. If the author's there, people tend to pay more attention. Mm-hmm. And so if I go to Hollywood, any of the various people who are shopping my things are, you know, whatever, they'll be like, we'll set up a dinner with this person because then, you know, you being there makes it more likely that they'll want to actually do the dinner or things yeah. like that. So I've ended up at more and more of those things, which is weird because I enjoy people's work, but I am not a celebrity person, meaning I... um I'm not one of those who's super excited to go meet the movie stars. Yeah. Partially, I think, because I do the con circuit and I see how much work it is for them. Like, I am mildly recognizable, right? Mm -hmm. And so if I go out to dinner, basically anywhere that my books are decently popular, the States, the UK, various parts of Europe and things, there's a pretty decent chance someone will come up and ask for an autograph. Mm -hmm. It happens basically every time I go out to eat here, which is very not surprising. It's my home turf, but, Mm -hmm. but all around. It only happens just enough for me to feel cool, right? Yeah. Like when I was- Without becoming overbearing. Like when I was at the Wailing Wall in Jerusalem and- a very orthodox Jewish young man recognized me and was like, it's a high holy day. I can't ask you to write. It's against the (laughs) rules. I'm like, it's all right. It's all right. Tell me your email and I'll send you something signed. But like, that was pretty cool, right? Yeah. Like you feel very famous when someone recognizes you in Jerusalem Mm -hmm. or, you know, things like that when it's not your home turf. Yeah. I have a very weird form of celebrity in that I will get recognized on the street in Argentina, right? Peru, Bolivia, and Mexico. Sometimes. Never in the States. Never? Uh, You've told me that people have Recognized your voice before because at, of the that's podcasting. at cons. Okay. okay, one time in a library. One time in a library. But it, I was okay. there in the library because there was a con next door. So I, I still count that. Yeah, it depends on where I go, but it's still cool for me, right? Mm-hmm. Like my kids go, oh, dad, we can't bring you anywhere every time it happens, right? But <laughs> I don't get flocked to, I don't get flooded. But when I'm at cons and I see the movie stars, because they're so visually recognizable, I don't know if we've talked about this in the podcast or not yet, but There are people who, like, book sales are this odd thing where if you were to look at my raw income and influence over people, the fame I would have is more equivalent to top-tier movie stars, right? Mm -hmm. But my recognizability is way below that. Yeah. Way, way. And then you get a star like Will Wheaton, right? who is recognizable, but not top-tier movie star. He's actually a very good writer and a very good podcaster and social media thing. But I wouldn't say, you know, A-tier celebrity. But his recognizability, because of the number of people who have seen Star Trek, is just way higher than what mine would be. And so you see someone like him at a con, or I do, and I see that he has to deal with the fact that everyone there knows who he is. And everyone there kind of wants a picture with him. 
but nobody there actually follows his modern contemporary work. <laughs> well, not nobody. There are definitely people yeah, there who do. Some people do. A decent number of people, but no shade at Will Wheaton. Very nice man. I've enjoyed chatting with him. But you know what I'm saying here? Mm -hmm. Like being a visually recognizable movie star or television star is such a weird life that it makes me not want to add to their burden by being another person who goes and talks to them. Yeah. Particularly because the times where I would be able to talk to them are times where they're supposed to not have to deal with that, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. It's in the green room or it's on the bus to the con or it's things like yeah. that. So. Yeah, and I try to never do that. Mm -hmm. You know, I was in the green room once with Peter Capaldi, who's my favorite doctor on Doctor uh -huh. Who, and just absolutely refused to even talk to him because I knew that he was he was clearly tired. I didn't want to mm -hmm. bug him. Sometimes that has been a problem. One time in Miami, I was in the green room. I was eating, and I was just thinking to myself, okay, I'm not going to geek out over anyone. I'm not going to be a weirdo. And so... I sat for a long time, you know, just eating my food, mm -hmm. ignoring who was around me, which right. was hard because, like, Luis and Maria from Sesame Street were there. Okay. And, I mean, they helped raise me. But the couple next to me was having this long conversation about monetizing a podcast. Uh-huh. And I'm like, okay, that's, that's something I know a lot about. I've been doing this for a long time. Yep. And so eventually... I chipped in because they hit a point where they had a question they didn't know the answer to when I did. And I'm like, well, I've been doing this podcast, you know, for about 10 years mm -hmm. and all this other stuff and started talking about writing excuses. And let me answer this question for you and help mm -hmm. you out. And then finally, halfway through this conversation, turned and looked at him. And it was one of the women from Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Okay. Simmons mm -hmm. and her husband. And... She came and she bought a book and she was very nice and wonderful, but I almost missed, you know, that conversation because I was trying so hard not to be the weirdo. You know, the people I find that don't have that. So some of the movie stars, they're all universally very nice. I haven't met a jerk yet. I wonder if the jerks just don't go to the green room or if they don't <laughs> go to the cons or if they're a, I don't know, but yeah. universally wonderful experiences with every actor I've met. Not the same for producers, but <laughs> actors, yes. But a lot of the the movie stars, I often have to wonder, I have to wonder, like, what do you think of being at this con, right? Because, like, they are generally there, I assume, for a paycheck, right? Mm -hmm. Nothing wrong with that. I am not at cons anymore for paychecks, right? I earn less at a con than I would not going to the con. Yeah. I am at a con because... I feel like meeting the fans and being available to them is important to the way I like to run my business. And mm -hmm. I, I like to be able to meet them. I like to be able to do these appearances when yeah. I can. But I wonder about these cons, like, are you sitting there thinking, um, famous actor person, man, I sure am glad that I have this fan base that I can engage with. Or are you thinking, man, I wish they'd all get a life but I have to do this to get some money, right? Like I can't read them because they're actors and they don't let you read mm -hmm. from their expression. They all have this kind of bubble around them. Yeah. For lack of a better description. Yeah. They're, well, okay. So one time mm -hmm. when we went to Worldcon in LA, this was before I was published and I think yeah. you had Elantris out and that was it. Yes. That Worldcon is LA is where I lost the award to John Scalzi mm -hmm. and our good friend yelled, Scalzi! as like con but john on stage is like thank you because he thought he was cheering for how yeah. great he was so yeah so at that con they had 
because it was LA, usually Worldcon does not have celebrities. Yes. Movie star celebrities. Movie star celebrities. They've got book celebrities. Mm -hmm. But because it was LA, they had a handful. And one of them was Robert Picardo, who was the holographic doctor Mm -hmm. on Voyager. And he very clearly, I think, did not want to be there. It was Mm. obvious from his demeanor. Maybe he was just having a bad day. I did have a chance years later to meet him at a different con, and we actually had dinner. Mm-hmm. He's incredibly nice. Mm-hmm. That's why I think that L.A. thing must have just been a bad day. But it's the one and only time I've kind of seen that facade slip and say, oh, yeah, you're not happy to be here, are you? Right. Well, I can I can imagine, like... And it might be because he was promised, like, a Comic-Con situation, and it was WorldCon, which is not... Not Comic-Con. Not a place that a movie star wants to be. Yeah. I wonder, like, for instance, I know a lot of actors are introverts. Mm -hmm. Very common in the profession, which shocked me until I spoke to some, some actors. And it's the mode shift of being able to perform is very fun for them. But they're still an introvert. They still don't want to talk to people, yeah. right, and things like that. And I've seen a number of them that they seem just really intimidated and exhausted by the whole con experience sort yeah. of thing. And that's interesting to me because mm-hmm. I find that to be true of many, if not most, authors. Yes. I would say you and I are in that group of introverts who can fake extroversion when called upon to do so, yes. right? Yeah, or we have a secondary mode that is very strong. Yeah, but right. sooner, eventually and inevitably, those extroversion yeah. points run out and yes. then you're kind of just we left. Hide. Oh, no. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, I, I wouldn't have expected that about actors. Yeah, I hadn't either, hmm. but apparently it's very common and it's very interesting to see the whole con experience and to to see how it is and... It's kind of interesting. The voice actors are really different. Yes. It's like they're a different breed of human being. Mm -hmm. Sorry, Jess, but you are, (laughs) right? Like they are so different. They're so different. And often in my experience, so much more excited to be at a con. Oh, yeah. Every one of them just are having a blast. Yeah. You'll sit there in a green room and they'll be like all the people from... Whatever TV show over in the corner, just looking dead. Yes. And then there'll be all the voice actors from like Overwatch or Attack on Titan. And Mm -hmm. they are just bubbly and bright and loud. And -hmm. it's so different. I don't know why that is. Do you know why that is? I have theories. It's the same reason that editors love conventions, but agents don't. Mm. So my experience has been that editors really like cons because for the first time, editors get to go sit on panels and be celebrated, Mm. which they deserve to be celebrated, right? And And they're so often just behind the scenes. And at a science fiction convention, the editorial panel, they get to get up and the editor gets to say, you know, I am this person's editor. And everyone's like, whoa, you do such a good job. Those books are so great. And the editor's Mm -hmm. like, wow, you actually are paying attention to the fact that I do all of this work behind the scenes. And I wonder if the voice actors, like, I get the feeling that undeservedly so voice actors are the, how should we say, the... The lower class, the lower of, class celebrity. of actors. Yeah. That they're treated like YA authors in, are in the book community, <laughs> if that makes sense. Yes, that does. I wonder if it might just be because of the recognizability. Mm-hmm. You know, someone like Robert Picardo can't walk around on the exhibit floor of a con because everyone's going to be like, you're the doctor, say the line or, you know, Mm -hmm. whatever. 
Whereas the guy who does Lucio in Overwatch, nobody knows what he looks like, you know, except the very, very hardcore yes. fans. And so he can walk around freely and mm-hmm. be famous when he wants to be and be private when he wants to be. Yeah, which is what it's like to be famous as a writer, which can be really mm-hmm. nice. Particularly if you don't do a YouTube channel and all of these things. I think the fact that I have done <laughs> writing excuses and things like this from the get-go has made it a little harder for me to stealth. But Possibly, and the YouTube channel. Yes, the YouTube channel has definitely been part of that, but I don't mind it. Like I said, it feels cool to me. How's your family with you being a public figure? For the most part, they are fine with that. It is not something that affects them often. Mm-hmm. You know, my daughter who's in high school is still very excited to find my book in the high school library, things mm-hmm. like that. Like, look, Dad, there's this thing here. But that is because, you know, what very limited celebrity I have is never a burden on anyone. Yeah. And so there's never really this sense. I'm still someone they can brag about to people who don't know me rather Mm -hmm. than roll their eyes because everybody does. Right. Any of your family members ever worry about how like people knowing where they live, knowing what the kids look like, things like that. I know some of our friends. I worry about that. Don't post pictures of their children Mm -hmm. intentionally and things like that. Yeah. I tried for a long time for several years to not ever post pictures or names of my kids online Mm -hmm. until I realized how easy it is for someone who knows what they're doing to find all that information. Right. Even if you have been 100% careful. Yeah. It'll go in your Wikipedia article Mm -hmm. or it'll show up in a... You know, because my first books were all about sociopaths, Mm -hmm. I got a lot, a surprising number of emails from self-diagnosed sociopaths. And sometimes they were very creepy emails Mm -hmm. and sometimes they were very normal. One of them was, you know, the guy who's like standard line that I used to hear all the time, which was, thank you so much for this book. It was wonderful to see my thought pattern expressed in a book. I've never seen that Mm -hmm. in a character before. Thank you so much. And then at the end, by the way, you should be careful what you put online. Here's what I was able to find out about you and your family. And then like a page of me and my kids and my parents and the schools they go to and the neighborhoods they lived in and everything after this kind of creepy letter. And so that kind of freaks me out. But on the other hand, I have apparently a vast legion of sociopath fans who love me and my work. And so anyone who messes with me has got to have to tangle with them at some point. So I like to tell myself that that that's going to help keep me safe. Yeah, you will be avenged. <laughs> avenged, I guess, isn't as good as protected, yes. but still. Mm. Yeah, Emily worries about this more than I do. And I basically don't worry about it at all. Mm-hmm. I think that's just because I had many years to get used to the idea that I was pursuing a job in entertainment. And I was going to, if I was successful, be a public figure. And that's just been part of my understanding of what my job would entail if I got what I wanted forever. But she married into that, right? Yeah. And she worries about it. She worries about even the things like when people come trick-or-treating to my house, specifically because they want to meet me and things like that. And it's one of these things that she knows is pretty illogical that it's not likely that that's a danger. 
but it still does worry her. Yeah. The thing is, on one hand, we have a culture that is increasingly devoid of privacy yes. altogether, right? Mm-hmm. And that is only getting worse and worse and worse, despite the various mm-hmm. motions that are going on to try to protect that. But on the other hand, we're kind of bombarded by all of the worst case scenario horror stories of what can happen with obsessive stalkers and things like that. Yeah. And the vast majority of people in the world are completely normal. And it only takes one obsessive stalker to, you know, break the curve. The one that really freaked me out, there was a K-pop star a year or two ago. Her stalker tracked her down by finding a high-res selfie she had taken. And looking in the reflection of her eyes, there was a street sign. And then he found where she lived and stabbed her. And so, yeah. Mm -hmm. I am blessed by the fact that rather than a hot young K-pop star, I'm a frumpy-looking old dude. And so I am incredibly (laughs) unlikely to have... Wow. Is that the first time that (laughs) phrase has ever been stated? That you were blessed? I am blessed to not be the kind of person who gets stalkers. Mm. Let's say that. Yeah. It does happen to male authors much less than female Mm -hmm. authors, as is very common across all professions, I would say. Yeah. Occasionally to men. Yeah. I remember David Letterman had a really bad stalker for years, Mm -hmm. but, you know, it doesn't happen often. Do you pick up any very dedicated haters ever? Because I know Kevin had one of those for a while that he talked about, who was somebody who was aggressively like anti-Kevin J. Anderson to the point that Mm. whatever Kevin did online or whatever, this person would appear and start harassing him. I'm not saying you can't dislike someone's work. Yeah, but going out of your way, Mm -hmm. you know, to find them wherever they are just so you can diss them. Yeah. I don't. Mm -hmm. I am trying very hard, occasionally failing, to just be nice to everybody. Mm -hmm. I definitely screw up now and then and I say dumb things that I regret, which is why I try very hard not to get into political conversation. But yeah, no one yet has decided that they have a big grudge against me. So next up, our politics corner, where we discuss, (laughs) let's talk about this. (laughs) No, we aren't going to do that. Uh, No. Okay. Were you about to ask a question? I was about to ask a question. Well, let's hear it. Okay. I was going to say, what do you think on YouTube and influencer stardom as it intersects with writer stardom? Because Hmm. I found some interesting things like a lot of YouTubers write books. And so the YouTuber sphere and things like that is more and more becoming a sphere that I interact with. Or, you know, I'll have a publicist who's also a publicist on this book and things like that. And I see like, you know, we're on YouTube or Spotify or wherever you're listening to this fine podcast. But we wear a much smaller influencer hat. Yeah. So we are adjacent to that culture. And I find it very interesting. What always kind of surprises and in different measures both delights and and annoys me is people have very little concept of the differences in scale between different forms of media Mm. and so you know part of this is because they've watched castle yes and they think that authors you know can publish a book every two months and that they make millions of dollars they don't (laughs) i don't but like 
I used to run, and I have yeah. been on hiatus for several months. I used to run a YouTube channel where I would mm-hmm. do RPG reviews. Yeah. And one of the common comments that I will get now and then is somebody who says, wait a minute, I read your books. You're famous. How is it possible that you only have a couple hundred subscribers on this YouTube channel? That's ridiculous. And I'm like, well, not really, because... Yeah. You know, YouTube and books are completely different things. Being an author does not imply the level of celebrity you're probably thinking that it does. Being successful and known in one area doesn't necessarily mean success or visibility in any other. Being an author in particular does not Mm -hmm. necessarily because our demographics don't always overlap. But at the same time, I think this is a really useful thing to talk about because I joke earlier, but... Things sell less than people think they do mm-hmm. in general for celebrity culture. And this is across the board, right? Like we were factoring it. Producer Adam, were you on those emails? Like where books sell and things like this is kind of shocking to people, right? Like where album sales are, it's kind of shocking to people and things like that. So we were figuring one of my books was half a Kanye West at one point or something like that. Or do you read on that email? I think Um, I was. Yeah, something like that. I'm half a Kanye or something like that, but I'm way less recognizable than Mm -hmm. Kanye. That is the quote, half a Kanye. Half a Kanye. Kanye. But beyond that, part of that is because album sales don't sell as much as people think. And a record being platinum is a pretty big deal. Most records don't get to platinum. Platinum's a million sales. Am I right on that, Producer Adam? Or is it 500,000? I think it's a million. And gold is 100,000. Is that what it is? But a million sales is huge. Don't get me wrong. Mm -hmm. But the number of people who have heard a Kanye West song and know, or first off, who can identify a Kanye West song is probably, you know, hundreds of, no, maybe not hundreds of millions of people. Maybe. Yeah. Maybe. But people who can know who Kanye West is, is hundreds of millions of people. Mm -hmm. But a Kanye West album, you know, is going to sell a couple million copies. You know, a good album probably sells 10 million, right? Like 10 million is just an amazing certification. And that's right? called Diamond. It's called Diamond. So 10 million is a Diamond certification. And Gold is no, they had Diamond. Yeah. And things like that. But when you think about recognizability versus people who are actually willing to put their money down on something, there's a huge gulf there. And it's always kind of interesting when you move between these worlds because a lot of people in movies don't even really understand how many people go see movies. They just hear the box office ticket numbers and things Mm -hmm. like that, even the producers. And you'd be like, you know, this book sold 100,000 copies. They'll be like, oh, so it's a disaster. And you'll be like, no, that's really good. Have I told the Green Lantern story on the podcast before? So this is one of my favorite statistics, Mm -hmm. which is the Green Lantern movie, one of the absolute flops of the modern superhero thing. It performed worse than the Ben Affleck Daredevil. It performed worse than the Halle Berry Catwoman. Absolute disaster of a movie. Mm -hmm. And yet, if every single person who bought an opening week ticket to that movie had gone and bought a Green Lantern comic instead, it would be the best-selling comic book in history. Yeah. Because the differences in scale are massive. Yeah. Comics are another one of those things like the top selling comics outside of Japan. Japan is its own little thing. Who's buying Batman every week? I once heard the statistics on Batman are about 100,000 copies, which. That's pretty good. Is pretty good. But, you know, 
Batman selling 100,000 copies. You go to that mm-hmm. movie person and you say, oh, it's all 100,000 copies. Yeah. And then being like, wow, like I had this when I first got in the business, right? Mm-hmm. My first week, Elantra sold 400 copies. And I thought I was dead. I was doomed. My agent sent in the numbers that he'd gotten. And I'm like, oh, well, that was a short career, wasn't it? He's like, what? What do you mean? 400 copies for a new author on their first week? He's never, that's fantastic. That's really good numbers. I'm mm-hmm. like, really? He's like, yeah, no one's heard of you. They 400 people in a bookstore around the country picked up that book and bought it. That's really great. And yeah. you should feel very proud of that. Without knowing who you are or anything mm-hmm. about you. That's why it's so interesting, you know, that these movie producers want to yeah. take you out to dinner to meet other people. Yeah. Because- you know, even the ones who had bad movies that were flops and failures probably reached a larger audience than yeah. some of your books did. Yeah. And yet, I think we also have to consider that people are famous. It has a lot to do with what you are famous for, mm-hmm. which is where I think the influencer and the YouTube idea comes in. Yeah. Because once you get into that kind of visual celebrity in a movie or a YouTube or a TikTok, you are famous because you are famous. So, like, even knowing who I am and even having read my books, you're not necessarily excited to run out and look up my hour-long description of the Dune RPG, right? Like, you don't necessarily care. Mm -hmm. Whereas if somebody is on TikTok and you follow them just because they're interesting and funny or attractive or whatever it is that you like, you are likely to look them up in every other venue they appear because they will also be interesting or funny or attractive in that same setting, Hmm. which is different than I liked his books, therefore I'm going to like his podcast. You know, they're completely different forms. Mm -hmm. And so someone in Hollywood thinks, oh, he's famous in books. I know what famous means in my industry. I assume it's the same thing for his. Let's get together. Yeah. Well, and the other thing that we have in books that is more and more in other mediums, but for years was not, is that books scale differently. Like Mm -hmm. the amount of money you have to put in to make a movie is so much. This is the Green Lantern story, right? You have to put so much into it that your minimum threshold for a blockbuster movie of how much you can spend and therefore how many people you have to reach to be successful is actually a really high floor, so to speak. Whereas books, you can have an author who has only a thousand people reading them. We say only, but they are reading them consistently. And that's one of the most famous things. Like a thousand true fans supports a career of a creator. And that's really cool. That's something that books has that movies didn't have at the same scale. I mean, I know there's indie movies, but I mean, an indie movie still... Most of them are costing budgets and hundreds of thousands or low millions rather mm-hmm. than I sat in my basement with a laptop or in my case, when I was breaking in, wrote on the computers at work because I didn't have one and eventually yeah. got published. Well, I think that's why it is easy for people to dip into our industry. Mm-hmm. You know, someone can be famous on YouTube and then write a book much more easily than we can be successful authors, and mm-hmm. then get big on YouTube. My kids love reading YouTuber books. They've bought a bunch of them because, you know, when you're at the bookstore, particularly when you're a kid, you're like, decision overload, decision <laughs> paralysis. Yeah. I don't know. There's so many books here. And then you see one and it's by Dan TDM. And you're like, Dan TDM. I know Dan TDM. I am going to buy that book. And that's how books sell. 
is yeah. by name recognition. That's how my books sell. Now, my name recognition is on previous books that you've bought or recommendations that people have made to you, but it's not surprising to me. It's not like this awful thing that they go in and they buy the YouTuber books. I happily buy them because okay. kids are eager to read and things kids like that. Kids will but read it the is, books. Yeah. It is interesting, an intersection between the two worlds. Yeah, at the bookstore level, mm -hmm. and I might be a little off about this, but my understanding is that for Barnes & Noble, their best-selling sections are biography and cookbook mm -hmm. by far. And I strongly suspect that it's because you can put a famous person on the cover that people recognize and they go, oh, okay, yeah, that person. I want to read their cookbook. Do they count diet book and cookbook? Because many years the Probably. diet book is the top-selling book. I assume so. The uh, food section. Yes, the, the food the, section. This is what you should be eating and how you should be eating it section. And such and such celebrity diet is also a pretty big deal. Mm -hmm. Like, I was kind of surprised when I got into the industry and people were like, oh yeah, nonfiction outsells fiction by huge margin. And I'm like, really? And I'm sitting here thinking of these like, you know, David McCullough style awesome <laughs> biographies. I'm like, that's really cool. And they're like, no, 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 no. Diet books. Yeah. Diet books and celebrity memoirs. Diet are books, memoirs. What are... So we're going to produce the intentionally blank cookbook, right? <laughs> Here's Sounds how like a diet cookbook. <laughs> <laughs> Here's how to make lukewarm Coke. Yes. Make sure that it does never see a refrigerator. See, here's what you're missing. We just had an entire podcast where we talked about how being an author doesn't necessarily translate <laughs> to people wanting to read your Dune review mm -hmm. of the RPG. I don't think it translates to, to people wanting, to, wanting buy our cookbook. to buy our cookbook. Yeah. I don't even know what we would put in that. I don't know. Mm. Yeah. We Alas. were going to talk about the Wheel of Time. We were. <laughs> we're going to have to do that next episode. Except we probably will put that episode before this episode because the Wheel of Time is coming out right now. So oh, That's right. Okay, well, let's. should we segue into it? No, I think that we should not. We'll do a different episode, but people who are loyal listeners will get to this episode and be like, oh, I've already listened uh, to or I watched already that. already did the thing. Wheel of Time. I have jumped forward in Brandon and Dan's time. Okay. And well, that's why I think it would be fun to do right now a segue that leads into last week's episode or whatever. Go for it. So we've been talking about celebrities that we have met and movie people that we have experienced. We also had works adapted into film. I had a movie, you've got a TV series, and I think that that would be an interesting thing to talk about. Well, we should do that last so, week. tune in last time. <laughs> Or whenever this one airs. This one might be months later, but... Ben, tune in last time. <laughs>